Hey, GG peeps. If you like advice shows, behind the scenes content, and Brandon and my banter, you should come join us on twitch.tv slash goblins underscore and underscore growlers at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday, February 7th. We're doing a live stream recording of one of our most popular convention panels. Help! My game is on fire! We're going to be taking live audience questions, supplying some of the more baffling questions we've received on those panels, and just generally having a good time. All of this will then be sanded, polished, and presented with a glossy sheen on February 19th on the main podcast feed and YouTube channel. So come hang out, see what parts get left in and what parts we have Scott cut out, and bring your questions. Once again, we'll be on twitch.tv slash goblins underscore and underscore growlers at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday, February 7th. See you there. Hey Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Discord and occasionally Blue Sky. Uh, I'm Brandon Dengus at Way of Brandalore at places. <laughs> Just Google at Way of Brandalore and you'll find me. If not, I'm not there. There are places to find Brandon, and they are at Way of Brandalore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, if we saw you at MAGFest, glad we saw you at MAGFest. If you discovered us at MAGFest, glad you discovered us at MAGFest. Um, tell a friend. Uh, telephone, telegraph. And uh, <laughs> uh, are you ready to just jump right into it, Josh? Oh, absolutely. So uh, we've got a couple of news items, and then our, our meat of today is talking about the deck of many things release that Dungeons and Dragons did fairly the raw recently. pink meat of the episode deck of mm. deck of many things the the delicious papery meat <laughs> um so first this was uh, just the other day um because we're recording this on the 27th I think it comes out what the fifth yep yeah okay so yeah this just came out the other day uh, and i'm betting you i'm betting dollars and dollars and dollars that there's absolutely no new information about this between now and then because we were given the faintest wisp of a press release about the <laughs> uh re the dungeons and dragons vr game and it was just an announcement press release and these things are usually just full of fluff and bullshit and stuff like that and this was really no exception just basically saying like hey we're doing a thing and they managed to stretch that out into uh five or six paragraphs i used to work in the news business so i very much understand that this is the way things are done um i i think my favorite is that you can always tell when a news release like this really has no info in it because if you google the company name and the product name everybody has the exact same info yeah there's like some people will add like a sentence or two here of context about the company itself and then everything else is exactly the same it's like when i get a google alert about something on like with a link to screen rant and 
it's just like, oh, like just something about a television show. And then I click on the story because I'm a gullible idiot. And there's <laughs> one sentence of the thing that was in the headline. And then the entire <laughs> other like five or six paragraphs of the story are just background information on the show or the actor or something like that. And then I feel like a doofus. A quick, a quick aside. I'm getting really frustrated with news articles to sell more ad clicks doing the thing that recipe bloggers have been doing for years. Telling a good long story before getting into the meat of it. Reiterating the same three points like six times on the way there. It's like, get on, get on with it. You gotta, you gotta up those engagement rates on, on your content. Makes me so angry. (laughs) But anyway, this, this press release. Uh, it says, uh, you know, an official Dungeons and Dragons VR game is coming, courtesy of Resolution Games. Uh, maker of Demio has announced they're collaborating with Watsi to make the first VR video game set in the Dungeons and Dragons universe. No other details, including a time frame for release, were announced for the new game. And, uh, you know, we chatted about this a little bit before we started recording, but I'm I have ultimately about two thoughts on this. First is, OK, that's that's cool. But the, the second is, so what? Um, it's becoming a really common refrain for me, uh, especially on some of the other things we're talking about today too, uh, to be like, what are you bringing to me that's new about this? I understand that I, uh, many people probably think I'm wrong about this and that's fine, but, uh, Dungeons of Eternity, for example, came out, it's a, it's a VR dungeon crawler game. It's pretty popular right now. It came out in October. It looks really good. I haven't played it cause I'm not super plugged into the VR gaming scene, but it looks really good. And D&D now just announcing that there's going to be a D&D VR game that probably is only in really sort of initial sketch up type development right now. So it's probably not going to come out for at least another year. Right. So what are you what are you bringing me that's new there? How are you going to improve on what's already been done? Is the lure of the license enough to get people to pay you know, $70, $80 for this VR game, whether it's on MetaQuest or Steam VR or whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I have a theory that I formulated while you were talking. Okay. Because I, I too have been confused by this. It's it's either really, really early or it's very hush-hush. And I'm inclined to believe that it's really, really early just mm-hmm. based on the amount of details everybody's getting. My theory is that this is going to be a virtual tabletop system for one D&D slash D&D 60, D&D Next, whatever the hell it's getting called. Mm-hmm. And so it's not going to be 5e rules like Dungeons of Eternity, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Dungeons of Eternity, I think, is its own thing. It's not built on 5e rules or anything like that. It's just its own independent game. Oh. As a counter theory to what you're talking about, like there's... <laughs> Like that, they're already developing that isometric um, VTT, the official one that Wizards is putting out itself. Now, I could see this as being like a first person component to that if it weren't being developed by a third party. Because I used to play back in college, like 20 years ago, me and my roommate used to play Dungeon Keeper a lot, which was just this fan. For, so good for anybody who's not played it it's amazing because you play essentially like a, a dungeon lich sort of situation like a, a wizard or something and you build the dungeon and you place your minions and stuff like that but you can possess your minions and then move through your dungeon in first person now if they wanted to take sort of that isometric vtt and then incorporate first person vr to that where if my paladin is running through there 
but I instead want to zoom in and essentially possess the paladin and control him through VR. I would love that. That would be an amazing feature. And it's crazy if they're not talking about that right now. But the fact that this is being developed as a license by a third party tells me that there's probably not going to be like that kind of integration for this, because that's the only way I could see this being really worth having is if it integrated into that. And then you could have all of your players playing in VR in the same dungeon. I think at the very least, my suspicion is that the reason it is a officially licensed product and the thing that's going to be different about it is being able to integrate your character sheets, etc. as you already have them. Yeah. Something to that effect where it's like it it connects the D&D beyond somehow or something like that. Because otherwise it's just a VR high fantasy game with the D&D license attached, kind of like Honor Among Thieves, like references D&D stuff a little bit, but mostly it's just a high fantasy action adventure romp. Yeah, and I don't think that it's a situation too where the third party comes to Watsi or Hasbro and is like, well, we'll give you this. Here's a large bag with a dollar sign on it uh, that's bursting at the seam. Uh, and we would like to purchase the license to Dungeons and Dragons to be able to do this. I don't think it's one of those kind of scenarios because Watsi's kind of at a point where like they can do a lot of stuff themselves if they want to. And maybe this is them testing the waters for whether or not there's an appetite for you know real D&D in VR before they move on to that next step of trying to integrate it into the VTT, which again, I have to think they're already <laughs> talking about that. And please, if if you're watching this, if you're listening to this and you have read such a thing and I'm just unaware of it, please call me out in the comments for it because I would love to know the details on that if it's a thing. I was going to say, I would also love to hear people's wild speculation that is separate from our own because... All of this is just wild speculation. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what happens when you release a press release with absolutely no news in it whatsoever. <laughs> um, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But like, again, it's it's your typical it's your typical wispy nothing, you know, sound and fury signifying nothing. Um, there's <laughs> there's not even a quote from Dan Rawson in it. I was turned on to this originally because I followed Dan Rawson, the SVP for Dungeons and Dragons with Hasbro. And uh, I follow him on LinkedIn and he posted about it and uh, it just said something like, hey, this is coming and it's cool. But he's not even quoted in this uh, in this press release. Uh, the only uh, wizard person is uh, Eugene Evans, who's the SVP for digital strategy and licensing at Watsi and Hasbro. So there again, just dealing with third parties on the whole thing. I think it's yep. I think it's probably going to be cool, but there's a difference between it being cool and it being different. Right. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which brings us to our second news item, <laughs> yeah. which is Tales Tales of the Valiant uh, in their Game Master's Guide. Of course, funded. Yeah. Obviously funded. No question. Yeah. Wasn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it funded in the first 30 minutes of the Kickstarter? Is that recollection correct? Yeah, something like that. I mean, they're they're in that tier of Kickstarter creators where they can just snap their fingers or flip a switch. <laughs> and and just the money appears, uh, which is great. It's like it's nice work if you can get it kind of situation. But, um, it, you know, Hit Point Press, Cobalt Press, um, uh, all of those sort of higher tier third party publishers. It's never shocking when something like this happens. So, yeah, you know, we've talked a lot over the last month or so 
about Tales of the Valiant and uh, last last episode we talked about that that screed about the end of the tabletop golden age and how TOV was going to be the last like million dollar or however much it made um, Kickstarter for tabletop right I think I think he was making that argument for MCDM flea mortals okay that's right that's just, right you're just for you're correct just before you get corrected in the comments yeah you're, you are <laughs> correct you are correct I remember that now but uh, obviously, we knew when the TOV Game Master's Guide came out, it was going to get funded. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at it right now, and the Kickstarter doesn't end until February 16th. So when this comes out, you've essentially got two full work weeks to go in there and back it. Uh, but right now, it's at uh, almost $345,000 of uh, the $50,000 goal. Uh, and we know those goals are artificially it is set to make it look like they've done like way more and everything, but regardless, so it's funded, it's happening, but we can stop me if you've heard this before, but we come back to sort of my main question of, you know, what is the point? What is the differentiator with uh, tales of the valiant and what they're really pushing uh, on the Kickstarter now and in their preview PDF is their monster crafting system. And it's interesting because when I saw that they had a preview PDF, because I haven't backed the Kickstarter uh, yet slash don't know if I will, but in their public updates on it, they've got uh, a preview of chapter two uh, that is not final. And then they've got a link to the preview PDF. And I was expecting a little bit more from the preview PDF. It ended up just being a lot of marketing material, which I'm not saying in a way to fault anybody at all, because if I were doing something like this, I'd do it exactly the same way. But it's marketing material. It's the credits. uh, It's a snapshot of what the table of contents is going to look like. And then it just jumps into uh, chapter eight, the homebrewers toolbox. And it says this chapter covers a suite of tools to customize existing mechanics or handcraft entirely new options for Tales of the Valiant or fifth edition games, whether you want to design new spells, magic items, character options or monsters. This toolbox provides you with direct guidance and actionable steps to make exactly what you need. And they they're really leaning on the monster craft aspect of this in the preview that they've released. And they're also talking a lot about it on the Kickstarter. Like, for example, uh, okay, well, here's a stat block for a mermaid, but here's how to make it into a skeleton mermaid. (laughs) And it's it's hybridizing and using templates uh, and things like that to to make that work. But I like you admittedly understand the monster craft aspect of things a little bit better than I do. Well, it's so what I was hoping for, because you sent me the link and you were like, oh, they released uh, an excerpt from the DMG and or the GMG, as they're calling it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's about monster crafting. And I was like, ooh, show me the way I like I like me some kobold press monsters. Check it out. And literally it's okay. So let's say that you've got a giant ape. Okay. And you want to make that giant ape into a giant ape skeleton. Here's how you do that. And I'm like, this is, this is like 101 level stuff. I was hoping for, here's a little bit of a look into the creative process that Kobold Press uses for building monsters in the first place. Like, here's how we gauge like what special abilities to give it, what kind of environment to put it in, those sorts of things. Like the the more narrative focused stuff. And mm-hmm. instead, I get, so, all right, so it's going to be a skeleton. So it's going to be weak to bludgeoning damage, but resistant to piercing damage. Isn't that interesting? And it's like, no, 
No, it's not interesting. Stop. <laughs> well, you got to figure the market that they're going for on this because you're approaching it as though they're trying to create sort of a higher a higher level version of the of the DMG for themselves, right? And really what they're trying to do is take the market share from wizards of people just getting into things. They want those new players and that's why they're going basic with it, which again, to me is confusing from a business perspective because there's no differentiator. It's just 5e with another coat of paint on it. I would like to see that kind of thing too. I would like to see a game master's guide that really sort of is under the hood on things uh, rather than being simplistic about it. And I want to be clear, and I, I've tried to make this point a number of times when we've been talking about this kind of thing. So I don't think I'm misunderstood when I say it, but I just want to be clear about it is this is high quality work. Tales of the Valiant is no slouch in terms of the writing, editing, production quality that they're putting into it. My main issue is just sort of that meta business aspect of it, of like, what's the differentiator? Because like, like it's become just a recurring theme to keep going back to the OGL and how that completely changed third parties' plans for these things. So I understand this probably isn't exactly what they had planned for, but now I continue to just struggle with whether or not I should invest in this because I'm not seeing what the difference is, especially like in, in that passage when it calls out specifically like, hey, here's this is good for if you want to do stuff with Tales of the Valiant or fifth edition games. Well, I think my issue is less that the content is bad because the content is fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the content. My issue is that if I wanted a 101 on how to turn a beast type creature into an undead type creature, a skeleton specifically, I can find one and a half million Reddit posts, forum posts, YouTube videos, guides, probably inside Kobold Press's blog. Like I, that data is out there and very easily accessible by anyone with access to the internet. Mm -hmm. What's tougher is the more meta level stuff where it's like when you are homebrewing a creature, think about why you're homebrewing a creature. And I guess mm -hmm. I, I guess part of the reason I'm feeling as uppity about it as I am is because we literally just did a panel on homebrewing at MAGFest. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we tried to bring a lot of concepts and ideas to it to help people understand homebrewing at a core level, as opposed to being like, well, here's a way that you could turn an ape into a skeleton ape. Because the, at the end of the day, how to turn an ape into a skeleton ape doesn't help me that much. It's mm -hmm. one it's one skill that I can use, I guess, over and over again. My expectation, as I've said many times when we talk about Tales of the Valiant, is that everything that I'm complaining about is because I'm only seeing the surface level stuff that they're releasing as previews. The stuff that was really yeah. easy for them to write early the stuff that does not take a lot of balance and editing and re-editing and then finishing and then polishing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that this is like the very easy base level things and that the book itself will have just mind-blowing revelations in it. But my problem is I'm not seeing any of that. 
Well, let's take a look because yesterday uh, on the Kickstarter, they posted a new update and I'll, I'll get into that because uh, the one we were going to talk about was the chapter two preview, but they posted another one yesterday and it was basically an ad for the GMG and it links to Cobalt Press's website and they've got an article up there, but it's sort of essentially uh, a press release. And uh, GMs need all the help they can get. That's the inspiration for the Game Master's Guide. Do you have everything you need to, p- in, in to play in the Player's Guide and the Monster Vault? Of course, they're the core tales of the Valiant books. That's why the GMG is the tool for advanced game experiences. One-stop shop for GMs to take their table experience beyond basic games. Okay, parallel with the DMG. Let's pull back the curtain and talk about how the Game Master's Guide will be the handiest tool on your shelf. Expect a thorough, detailed, specific guidance on how to become a better GM with the GMG. It addresses all aspects of GMing process from out-of-the-game player, t- player relationships to how to prepare session notes. Now, if that's accurate, then that is an improvement over the DMG. That is a vast improvement over the DMG mm-hmm. because we've been doing panels for years now where the very first thing we say is you're going to have to talk to your problem players. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to sit them down and reason with them like adults. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it's hard. It's something people just don't want to do because people naturally don't like conflict. Um, next, next paragraph, take your original worlds and ideas into your own hands with a complete suite of homebrew tools that allow you to customize or create your own mechanics from monsters to magic items, even PC options. The GMG even helps you with the math again, important if true, because that is an improvement over what's in the DMG. That would be a huge improvement over the DMG. Yeah. Cause the, yeah, the DMG doesn't have any homebrewing tools. No, the closest the DMG has to homebrewing tools is you won't find everything that you want to run inside this book. Here are right. here are the basics of how we create these things so that you can create your own. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it is helpful, but it's not if this if this is accurate and what they come out with really does include all of that and it not like to death, but with some comprehensive nature to it, I, that could be incredible. That could be amazing. Mm-hmm. And then it says, keep your players invested with advanced rules and mechanics and raise the stakes or present new obstacles for combat, exploration, and social encounters. That's sort of a, a, a puffery sentence there. There's It's not really specific on anything. Um, and then, and let's not forget massive reference tables and tools to help you run games with ease, like general use random encounter tables and PC generators or expanded crafting options. I think that's a level up over the DMG as well. Again, important if true, because I've always felt like the DMG needed more utility tables. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, like especially for things like NPC generation uh, and crafting options as as well. So again, that's great. So if these things, if, if even just the two paragraphs that we really latched onto there are true, then the GMG becomes a very valuable tool for not just uh, new players, but experienced ones as well, because like, think how many times we've been forced to just sort of wing something. And it's fine because we know how, because we have the experience to do it. But if, if there were tables or other guidance that I could quickly flip to, that would be nice too. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wouldn't complain about that. So I've, you know, I've been going back and forth on this a lot, uh, because, uh, talking about how it seems less new and less helpful I want to talk about the chapter two preview that is on um, the Kickstarter. And it is essentially a preview of of the the second chapter. And they're saying, oh, well, this isn't final or anything like that. So don't you know, don't take it as gospel or anything. But, you know, you read through it and 
it's about building campaigns and uh, themes and settings and stuff like that. It's very rote, very basic sort of like storytelling, adventure building kind of stuff like, oh, we'll have long term antagonists and allies, Um, you know, build a meta plot for your campaign so you can have a narrative through line that people can start picking up clues on. And to me, that feels very much like ground zero type of stuff. But again, it's the it depends on the market that they're going for. Well, you know, and it's, uh, if if I will point out, though, it feels very ground zero to us. That is stuff that's not in the DMG. The DMG True. doesn't really talk about world building that much at all because they assume you're just going to play inside the Forgotten Realms. That's true. I can't I can't really argue with that. It's it's a very short excerpt uh, of the chapter two. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess now that you've said that, I'm sort of changing my opinion a little bit <laughs> because you're right. Maybe maybe my actual opinion is for experienced GMs, there's no value here in the GMG. But for new GMs, there's a lot of utility over the DMG on this. So, you know, I'm not going to say that I have been too harsh in my judgment because I feel like I've been equivocating a hell of a lot as we've been talking about this and really giving a lot of benefit of the doubt. But maybe that's just a perspective I hadn't considered on it. Uh, and I think that's fair. Um, so I think I've probably talked myself into backing this at this point. <laughs> just to, Well, just to get a hold of it so I can really sort of fully understand it when it comes out. Right. Uh, a, a, and feel like I'm being fair to it. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh cobalt press if you want to send us uh a review copy when this gets into <laughs> when this gets into shape um that would be pretty swell too um but yeah if you know we'll, we'll keep talking about this more as more stuff comes out um because like you know there's still about three weeks left in the kickstarter as we're recording this and there are going to be a lot more updates on it and everything and then once that's over, we're going to start seeing the the probably quick trickle of of new information because I mean, they're working on the book now. So it's going to stuff's going to start coming out relatively quickly about this. Oh, yeah. So. So we'll we'll keep on this. And as soon as I can get a copy of it, we'll get a copy of it and and hopefully talk about it. Um, any closing thoughts for you on the GMG? I just I, I will reiterate, I am not going oh, well, this is too basic. This is too minimal. I want to see something more advanced so that it can be a differentiator from the stuff that D&D has already published that a lot of us already have because that's how you pull people to your product instead of someone else's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it builds a new foundation uh, for people to get started yeah. in the hobby. And maybe maybe their play is just very long term on this, which is valid because it's like it's not like D&D is going anywhere. So you're you can't you're not going to be able to be an instant disruptor. No. for them. No, this isn't this isn't Silicon Valley in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Tales of the Valiant is the pets dot com <laughs> of, of tabletop games. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, yeah, you you picked up a new toy the other day. I did a, a beautiful new toy. Um, okay. So Brandon and I were already saying that we needed to talk about the Deck of Many Things release from D&D. Um, I, mm -hmm. for, right out of the gate, pleasantly surprised with this release. Mm -hmm. I, I was not sure what to expect exactly, 
but I was fully ready to be like, well, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's difficult to use, et cetera, et cetera. That is not how they've set it up at all. Um, so let me start with what is what's what's in the box? Come on. What's in the box? What's in the box? Um, I will I will say just just uh, in the fullness of information, I bet what's in the box is uh, cards that are not uh, <laughs> offset, bent, uh, <laughs> won't lay flat. Uh, because the release on this was delayed by a couple months because of uh, really crappy production. Mm, yeah. Um, so the cards are gorgeous. They mm-hmm. have kind of a gold leaf on the sides, Ooh. which is very pretty. And clearly from previous decks of many things that came out in earlier editions, they have shifted to more of a tarot yes. style presentation. Yes. With this. Um, they, in fact, they talk about in the book that's included... The opening section is about the history of the deck of many things and some of its different iterations, mm-hmm. which is really cool. I I love stuff like that. And it's a nice introduction piece to what is ostensibly a very large piece of D&D lore. Mm-hmm. I have one complaint about the cards that I noticed as I was interacting with them before we were getting on the call, which is that because the gold foil on the edge is so soft mm-hmm. it's really easy to accidentally mark your cards oh well gold is the softest metal i don't know if it's actually gold it is <laughs> it looks very gold um <laughs> they, they just got like a gold like a gold marker and went around <laughs> it's gold crayon that's what it is mm-hmm. um so that's that's a really mild complaint, but it, it is something to look out for, because if you've got a player who's trying to draw a specific card, uh, maybe you need to draw for them to make sure it's random. OK, the cards are beautiful. The art of, as always, absolutely gorgeous. Um, there is also a book on uh, all of the cards inside the deck of many things Mm -hmm. and some of their interpretations, which is kind of like a, it's like a coffee table style book. It's the much wider format Mm -hmm. and it just has descriptions of the cards and kind of goes into what, what the card is and defines. Mm -hmm. So you're actually intended to use this a lot like a tarot deck in part of the sections of the game. And they even have a section near the front of the book that is about if your players want a tarot style reading from the deck of many things for their campaign, you can do mm-hmm. that. They also have a way that you can dungeon generate using the cards. Oh, that's cool. And so you put like two cards together to show where the ta- where the players start and what starts the adventure. And then you've got mm-hmm. like, here's hurdle one and hurdle two. And here's what the like the bad guy's layer is like with three cards and then here's what kind of bad guy you're ultimately going up against with two cards. And so it's this it's a way for you to be able to generate new dungeons and new adventures without having done any legwork in the beginning. And admittedly, it's a framework. And given that it's interpreted a lot like tarot cards, there's some vagueness to it that allows you to make choices and make decisions about how things will actually turn out. Mm hmm. The big thing they covered that I was really excited to see in the book, in the like initial section, they talk about how many a campaign has been completely derailed by someone being like, oh, I'm going to draw from my deck of many things. It's like a hand grenade. (laughs) 
this either goes really well for me or really poorly. And either way, the GM is going to have to do some real scrambling to figure out how to make all this make sense. Mm -hmm. They have a guide for how to use the deck of many things in campaign without having it be, uh, they described it as pulling the lever on the cosmic slot machine. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really appreciated. And what they suggest is when the player draws the cards, those are indicators of things to come, not necessarily things that happen immediately. Mm -hmm. And so you get some of that, like, they draw like the tower or the throne and that can generate something that they're going to interface with soon, but not now. Right. So, I mean, really, it sounds like in this iteration, calling it the deck of many things is more of a legacy nod than, uh, at, you know, accurate, you know, because it's it's not like like because I had a deck of many things from second edition. I had the the box that it came in and it had like three or 400 cards or something like that. Good it felt like in there and they were all things, right? So in that situation, it's like, well, I'm going to pull from the deck of many things and then you pull it and it's like a, an Uno draw four or an Uno reverse or something like that. <laughs> uh, this, it feels like it gives the GM a lot more agency to incorporate that stuff into the adventure and make it more of like an offer from the player rather than uh, here's what you're doing. So yes and no, they give you they give you rule options for both. But recognizing that having the deck of many things be an instant like, oh, you drew the knight. There is now a loyal warrior who's fighting for you by your side immediately. Mm -hmm. They recognized that that mm -hmm. can be disruptive to a campaign. Uh huh. And so they were like, yeah. so you can do it that way. It's or... like material. Just here's my summon. <laughs> Yes, and sometimes you summon something very bad for you. Uh, mm -hmm. So they basically, they give you options. You run it the way you want to run it. You don't even have to run the deck of many things as it comes in the box. They've got alter alternate suggestions for here's how to remove some of the cards that will cause more chaos at your table. Mm -hmm. um, so you can run a, a safer deck of many things. Mm -hmm. They even have rules in there for if you want to create a deck of wonders or a um, what's the name of it? Shoot. There's another kind of deck of many things. I think it's a deck of many more things, mm -hmm. which uses a 52 card playing deck to give you your, your various options. Yeah. I would love to call that like the deck of other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so all of that, I thought was very cool. I really appreciate it when they give you something that you can then utilize to build things inside your own campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't stop there. They then uh, give you a feat that is basically a subclass called Cartomancer, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is a uh, it allows like controlling you... maps. <laughs> Apparently cards. You use cards oh, okay. for magic. Oh, I thought you said cartomancer. So I was thinking like cartography. I mean, that's how they wrote it is cartomancer. Okay. I don't, I, I, don't I, I assume, I assume that they did their Latin research. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. There's two new backgrounds. 
So you can start as a player character who either found a deck of many things and was favored by it. And you got like, mm -hmm. you get like a, a lucky feat or you're skilled in something or, you know, you have a, a benefit starting out. Or mm -hmm. they have another one called The Ruined, which is where you found you were doing really well for yourself. And then you found a deck of many things and everything in your life got flipped, turned upside down. Got sent across the country to live with your aunt and uncle. Exactly. Exactly. So those are kind of cool. Um, and they've got flexibility built into them. There's like three different things you can choose from as far as like starting out what the benefit of having that background is. And each of them is meant to be story-based. So the idea is if you um, if you drew from the deck of many things and the reason your life went terrible was because it ended up sending people after you who were hunting you, then you get the alert feed mm -hmm. because you have to, you got to like, you got to keep your eyes open. You got to be aware of your surroundings because you got people, people that are after you. Mm -hmm. And then the idea is that you are then rebuilding what you once had as a character, which I think is really cool. Yeah. There are so many magic items in this book. There are, I, I'm not even going to start listing them because there's just like dozens and dozens of magic items inside that are related to the deck of many things in a variety of ways. And there's, aren't there like multiple books in there? There's two books. Yeah. If you want to describe the packaging a little bit. The one book comes kind of like your typical setting module, that sort of setup. And uh, it looks like, did you get the alternate cover? I did. I usually do. All right. I hate those because <laughs> they don't look. I refuse to buy alternate covers because they do not look good on my shelf. Um, and then the other is the card reference guide, mm -hmm. which is that kind of coffee table book I was talking about. Right. So does the card reference guide just uh, sort of have each card and then a blurb about it sort of describing it. Yes. There's a little bit of like, this is where they describe things like the, um, how to make a dungeon out of it mm -hmm. or how to do tarot readings using the cards, uh -huh. those sorts of things for your player characters. Um, right. But then it also has descriptions of the cards and the sorts of things you might gather from drawing that card mm -hmm. as a, either an outcome or something that immediately appears, or something that appears in the near future, or something like that. It's interesting how they went high-end high on this, because, you know, if you think about it, cards as an accessory, it's only natural to have the uh, explicatory text on the card, right? Usually, yeah. Yeah, but it looks like from what you just showed there, there's just so much for each card that they would have they would have had to fill like one whole side of it with that, which I guess they could do. They would just eliminate a uniform back for each one right. and it would just be like the dragon or the knight and then on the flip side it would show all the information for it and everything it's interesting because i wonder if part of that was to differentiate it from not make it so much like mtg um because that that's weird to think about though because they are trying to merge uh D, &D more with mtg uh like with some of the stuff they're doing in magic with like D&D &D worlds and, and things like that. I think the intent really here is to make it a lot like a tarot deck, mm -hmm. like lean into that tarot aspect as much as possible. And that's what I'm saying by making it high end, because they're like they're making a design choice there, which forces them to now have a nice hardcover book to explain the cards because they're going all in on the thematics 
of the deck. I will say they could have in the rule book that they present, that's kind of a setting guide, they could have mm-hmm. just had like six, ten, something like that pages with card and then blurbs about what it might mean, card blurbs about what it might mean, and have that be something fairly clean. I think they did the separate book because they wanted it to be something where players can pick up the cards and then look, if they want, look at the various interpretations themselves, Mm -hmm. or the GM can be holding just the book for the cards to be flipping through and looking at interpretations as the players are drawing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're probably right. I still think there's maybe uh, some element of what I was saying, and I granted I'm looking at it very much from sort of a production and and business perspective on that uh but i think you're probably right too i don't think i don't think yeah mutually I, I think these things go hand in hand in this case um mm-hmm. additional things there are a lot of npcs and creatures in here i think there's like 30 or something that are unique to the book as i understand it uh there's mm-hmm. three factions that you can involve in your campaign should you so choose all, That's interesting. All of them are related to the deck of many things in some way, as you might expect inside a book titled The Deck of Many Things. <laughs> the The three factions are the Sun Bastion, the Moonstalkers, and the Heralds of the Comet. Um, the Sun Bastion, I think, takes the most explaining. They're basically an enforcer group mm-hmm. that has their own floating plane that you uh, has like a spell jammer dock and everything connected to it. And their whole thing is that they track down people who are actively using Uh decks of many things and figure out if those people are going to try to use it for benevolent uses or for malevolent uses. And if they're using it for malevolent purposes, they try to take the deck back. Do they do they redistribute it to a deserving person? (laughs) I don't I don't know. My understanding from what I have read, which I didn't read it in depth because I almost never read any of these books in depth, but my understanding is that in canon, the deck of many things is kind of a mysterious artifact that appears and disappears on its own whims um, to the point where people think that it might not be a magic artifact. It might actually be some kind of creature of its own Mm -hmm. with a sort of chaos element to it. Right. Um. But the one thing they do say definitively is that it was created by Istis, the goddess of fate. So that's Sun Bastion. They're all about making sure you're not doing evil with them. The Moonstalkers are basically a thieves guild taken to the nth degree using multiversal travel. So they They're just popping in places and stealing stuff and popping out pretty much. Yeah. And the the thing that's crazy about them is that they know when someone draws the moon card, not just that someone has drawn the moon card, but where that moon card was drawn. And so there's a tendency for them to just show up like a day or so later. Suddenly, um, They've got a they've got a gateway in their hideout that, depending on the phase of the moon, goes different places wherever they're located. So if you're in uh, Faerun, for instance, it might be like Neverwinter or Baldur's Gate or Waterdeep, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, it'll shift. It'll it'll shift around that world. Depending. Correct. Okay. Correct. And obviously, you as the GM know this, but your players are like, how do they keep showing up all these places? <laughs> and like. Their ability to travel is limited. It's just not as limited as you might think. Uh-huh. 
have you did you outline exactly everything that came in came in the package yet? Yeah, I think so. It's the cards, the two books. There's a nice um, I will say the carrying case for the cards and the book that explains the cards mm-hmm. is pretty sweet. It's like a nice little you know, little foam inserts there. Keep the cards safe. That's really nice. Oh, sorry. That's not foam. That's that's cardboard. But still. Oh, um, and then it's you put nice the book that on it's there to hold it in place. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that it's there. And then this goes into a slip case. So right. that the cards, the setting guide. That's everything that comes in the box. But like, I don't know. Those cards are so nice. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like presentation wise, they really sort of knocked it out of the park on this one. So I can understand now why they were just so hinky about how the cards when the cards came out poorly last year. And they're like, nope, we got to blow up the plan and just delay this by what? Like it delayed it by a couple months because wasn't it supposed to come out in November? Yeah. uh, October, November. Something Uh, like that. I think it was supposed to come out in like August. Okay, and then the card issue happened. And so it didn't come out until like December. Yeah, like that's I recall it being like three or four months that it ended up getting pushed back because they had to basically go. We received the first set from the publisher and we had to go. This is garbage. Yeah. And all of it needs to be reprinted. Yeah. And like at the time I was saying like, oh, it makes sense that they don't want to push out like a garbage product or anything like that. But I also didn't know. I didn't fully understand exactly how they were packaging and presenting this whole thing. So like understanding that they were going high end with it, that makes a lot of sense. Because if it was just going to be, here's the book. And then also you can also have these cards, right? The cards all have this like cool metallic sheen Mm -hmm. to the art on the front even, which is just like incredible. It's gorgeous. I am all about it. And and how much how much would this be for the average person buying it at manufacturer's suggested retail price? Oh lord, I think it was a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Um it was it was not cheap. And here's it was not cheap at all. Here's here's where I'll here's where I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Um <laughs> because I'm gonna say that's reasonable in the current in the current climate of how much Wizards is charging for these things, right? So let's use that as our baseline. Um, right. I've complained that they're releasing books that they're like just books that they're charging us like 60 bucks for. 70 now. Yeah, exactly. So this is a book that comes with a very nice set of cards that you can use for many different things in your in your adventures and campaigns for uh, generating encounters, generating dungeons, uh, creating offer scenarios to come up with with stuff with your with your GM and sort of more of a collaborative storytelling way, like based on the presentation that they that they're doing. They didn't half ass this. I'll give them a lot of credit no. for it. They didn't half ass this at all. So one hundred and ten dollars MSRP. OK, so if and that comes with does that come with digital access as well? Uh, if it did, I didn't notice it because. Uh, the physical on the on the D and D website or on D and D store, it's uh, Deck of Many Things digital digital and physical bundle is one oh nine ninety nine. Um, hmm. So uh, that might that might have to do with the fact that they had to release digital first because of the actual physical card delay or whatever. But uh, let's let's say around a hundred dollars uh, and and you know hundred hundred and ten something like that. Uh, I think it's 
a good price point for what they're offering, which is essentially a luxury item within a niche of luxury items. Right. Um, right. If it was just a book, because when they first I think it was like more than a year ago when they announced that they were doing Deck of Many Things in 2023. And initially it sounded almost like they were just taking the Deck of Many Things and just turning it into a book. So it's really not a deck. They made it sound like they were just going to do a setting guide, which you and I were both like, what? How does that work? So seeing what? seeing how they pulled it off, I'm actually going to say I think this is an appropriate use of the price point to give customers something extra for it. Right. Yeah. Because um, yeah. if it had just been a book, I would I would not be all about this. It's like the Spelljammer set I've got over here. Right. So, it, you know, three three hardbacks in the slipcover and I got a GM screen with it. That's great. But I would have appreciated, you know, some extras for for how much it cost. Right. And I won't get into my sort of my box set argument. Right. Um, but I feel like this is the modern day box set equivalent for an accessory. Like it's I mean, this is an accessory pack, essentially. And they've given it sort of a royal treatment. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And it's all of the arts really well done. The cards are well produced. I don't know, like 110 is a lot to ask of anybody, especially, you know, right now um but i i'm really enjoying how gorgeous it is and also they give you a lot of options for how to use it mm -hmm. so it's not just oh well here's you know rhyme of the frost maiden here's the setting here's the adventures that are in it here's the npcs that are part of those adventures yeah have fun it's it's like here is a bunch of tools and if you want them Here's some settings and some adventures and some quests and some NPCs to go along with those. Well, you know, here's something here's something to think about um, since we've talked about how the 2024 release schedule for D&D isn't super exciting, at least to us, um, compared to some of the stuff that came out last year. Right. So maybe it's sort of a kismet situation that the production delays forced the physical release of Deck of Many Things into 2024. So now. If you were like holding <laughs> off on purchasing stuff because you wanted to see what was coming out in 2024, like maybe you don't want a new PHB. Maybe you don't care about the Vecna game or anything like that. This is something if you could only buy one D&D &D thing that's coming out in 2024, just based on what I know right now of everything and having not seen it, which can be a huge landmine that I could come back to eat in six months. I would say deck of many things is probably what you want to spend your D and D budget on this year. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. There's a lot of good content in it. Um, I will, I will wrap up talking about what else you'll find. The third faction is the heralds of the comet, mm -hmm. which are basically a doomsday cult. Mm -hmm. You don't need a whole lot more than that to understand what they're about. Uh, they, literally are doing the whole like oh well what you need to do is give all of your possessions and anything that you love to the cult you see the spaceship will be coming <laughs> in three months and we all have to be ready for it the the draw of the cult for folks is that uh the reason why life is hard and why they're suffering in life is not because you did something it's because the universe is flawed and unraveling Okay. <laughs> I can understand the appeal. <laughs> yeah. You could see the draw to that. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's ways to make them antagonists. There's also ways to allow your party to join the cult if they so choose. Mm -hmm. Um that's so that's it for factions. 
There's a ton of NPCs and creatures. I won't really get into those, but they are beautiful, beautiful monstrosities in themselves. And then they've got a bunch of adventure areas with quests. So I already talked about the Sun Bastion a little bit. There's a Sealy Market, which is basically a Feywild carnival slash flea market. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like fun little tents with goofy little things you can purchase. And the whole thing's overseen by a dragon. The D and D really likes the Feywild. <laughs> the D and D con marketplace. <laughs> kind of yes. Um, there's a place called Harrow Hall, which if you draw the throne card, can appear in your adventure. Mm -hmm. And Harrow Hall is basically a haunted castle where rumor has it: if you die inside the castle, you can't leave. Mm -hmm. If you die in the castle, you die in real life. <laughs> Your spirit is trapped there for all time. Um, longtime fans of the Deck of Many Things will already be familiar with the Donjon Sphere, mm -hmm. which is basically a huge dungeon in space with like robots that regularly work inside of it. Uh -huh. um, and then there's the there's a few more places, but the last one that really excited me was the House of Cards, mm -hmm. which is a dungeon that is the Deck of Many Things. Mm hmm. Which I was like, that uh, we're getting meta now. I like this. <laughs> this is this is great to hear because just because of timing and everything, I wasn't able to actually take a look at at the book before we started talking about it. So I'm great because you're you're usually pretty critical about these things. So it's great to hear a positive reaction to it. It sounds great to me. Like I said, I'll just reiterate. Like if you probably, if nothing else excites you about tabletop this year you should probably pick this up unless you're like super committed to something third party but the fact most of the third parties are all using 5e now so you can just use this there this is also one of those that i think would be a lot of fun for a table um, mm -hmm. obviously the physical assets kind of make it more of an in-person game sort of object mm -hmm. um, i don't know what the digital assets look like i imagine they're similar but i don't know i haven't looked at them yeah but the if you alone cannot afford it and you're like, well, I can't afford it, so I can't get it. Like reconsider the concept of having the table go in on it. Yeah, because I think parties would also have a lot of fun with how this is set up, how it's built, being able to do like uh, GM led campaign fortune telling. Yeah. To be like, ah, there's a tall, dark, mysterious stranger in your future and you're like well we're playing curse of strahd so yeah i would say <laughs> i think that's probably a good idea to at least bring up but you know make sure you're a well-established group oh yeah uh, and make sure you record everybody's contributions to it um <laughs> as as a, a, a very good friend of ours who's uh a lawyer but he's a cool lawyer likes to tell us contracts save friendships mm, it's true it's true Make sure you have some kind of agreement about what happens if you have to split the kids. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a buy, like a buyout clause or something like that. But yeah, that works out to maybe like 20 bucks a person. Yeah, if you have five people. And it's so. there's there's a lot in here for a GM who just wants stuff to be able to throw in their game. And the thing that's beautiful about it is they specifically outline here are ways to include this in your campaign to make it more impactful and still hold to your campaign as it is mm -hmm. which i love that stuff that's my yeah. favorite thing when d when D, D does stuff like this because 
when you give me a fully established area with fully established quests and fully established NPCs, I then have to do the work of figuring out, well, how do I rip the things that I really like out of mm -hmm. this? Because I'm probably yeah. not going to run the book as the book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so are we about uh, wrapped up on Deck of Many Things? Is, is, your, yeah. recomm is your recommendation uh, uh, also a buy? I'd, I'd say go out and check it yeah. out. It's pretty cool. Um, you can get the adventure book by itself, as I understand it, mm -hmm. and then build your own deck of many things at home. But the cards are beautiful. So <laughs> if you, like me, are a big sucker for collector's edition type items, you're definitely going to enjoy this one, I think. Okay, fantastic. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today, but uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up uh, with the, the usual call and response. Um, you know, if you want to find us, uh, find us on Discord bit.ly slash goblin discord. I'm wave Randalore pretty much everywhere. Josh is black cloak DM pretty much everywhere. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, whether you're watching it on YouTube or listening to it on your podcatcher of choice, please telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the goblins and growlers podcast. Uh, word of mouth, not only is the greatest ludicrous album, but is also the best way to uh, grow our audience and have people, more people find out about it. Use that social proof on your friends. Um, what else? Oh, the newsletter. We have a monthly gaming newsletter that uh, talks a lot about indie games, uh, recommendations, uh, news items, just catch up stuff like that, uh, and also sort of a roundup of all our podcasts and things. Um, what else, Josh? Well, you can find the newsletter on our link tree, linktr.ee slash goblins and growlers. Mm -hmm. And then uh, finally, check out our sister show, Quid Pro Roll, on your podcatcher of choice where I play a sneaky uh, half-elf rogue whose gang got brutally murdered before the adventure started. Uh, and Brandon plays an over-the-hill professional wrestler who's trying to regain some of his glory days by going out and killing chromatic dragons. He's also a triple multi-class monk bar <laughs> barbarian, which was a stupid decision in retrospect, <laughs> but I'm stuck with it now. You need to um, see if Alex will let you visit Withers and respec yourself. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's it. I think that's I think that's all for us. Um, but uh, yeah, if uh, if you're just watching this on YouTube and you're not subscribed, please give us a subscribe. That would be pretty fantastic because uh, we're trying to do more stuff with the YouTube this year and just make sure more content gets out there. But otherwise, we'll catch you all in a couple of weeks. And uh, don't forget, if you're interested to check out the Tales of the Valiant GMG Kickstarter, because it's going to be open for several more days after you hear this. But other than that, uh, we'll catch everybody in two weeks. Bye, if you like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you. It's Josh from Quid Pro Roll, your favorite soup-slinging, wacky wrestling, dragon defenestrating, actual play podcast. Are you interested in epic prophecies, frazzled GMs, arson? Check us out! While you're at it, check out the other sweet shows on the May Contain Action Network. Forgotten Paths, Unvaulted, May Contain Action, and the Goblins and Growlers podcast. All linked here in the show notes.